Flashing sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We have our military sent to the border. We have 8,000 military personnel right now at the border. We are uh, doing an amazing job considering it's really an onslaught. Apparently, this is not what Representative um, Omar said. It's what she believes. And if she believes that, she ought to just own up to it and stop pretending. I guess Pelosi, Speaker Pelosi today couldn't decide whether Omar is an anti-Semite or if she's stupid. This is a time of testing uh, for the House of Representatives. And, and if I may, it's, a, it's really a moral test about how clearly they will speak out, in this case, against what Congresswoman Omar said, which was clearly anti-Semitic. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program today. Happy Friday. Oh, yeah. Can you, can you just love on Friday for a second? Just feel that Friday getting into you? Feel it soaking into you? Understand that Friday is something special it's the basically the evening of the weekend it's it's just such a outstanding thing friday friday i say <laughs> we salute you friday <laughs> and i'm saying that because it has been a particularly long week for me weather wise and then i've just been feeling pretty horrible like it's been a a really interesting week and, uh, you know, you know how this when you, you get a little good news, you get a little bad news, you get a little news, and then you have to kind of deal with that and have all of that going on in between everything else. And it's just been interesting. And so I'm looking forward to unplugging and having some time to just absorb everything that's gone on this week. And uh, the show, we just have so much for you today. It's going to be a fantastic program. Our guest is up in the air. So just just so you know, live radio and booking guests, you do the best you can. You schedule people and then their lives interfere. So we don't know if we're going to have Alice Stewart, who's a CNN political commentator and former senior communications advisor for presidential campaigns. We don't know if we're going to have her or not. Uh, So I just will let you know that she's supposed to be here. And uh, we're also going to be talking about uh, Omar. So, you know, I've been giving short shrift to these new progressives and the new progressives, you know, we covered them a little bit in the beginning and we've talked about AOC. I think we've given her more than her fair share. And I've, I've kind of felt as if uh, Dr. Carol Swain has it right when she says we should leave these people to their own devices. But there is something that when they're doing like when when they're being anti-Semitic, we got to address that. And we did talk a little bit on the show about it yesterday with Stephen Solomon, who came on. He's a radio host and also, you know, former military intelligence officer. And he had some great comments. And I just... I would have left it alone there, but there's a new development in this story in that they took up a resolution in the House of of Representatives to basically say that racism is bad, anti-Semitism is bad, and hatred towards Muslims is bad. Now, I I don't disagree with any of that. that those, Those are true statements. But why are we discussing hatred against Muslims and racism Instead of discussing the anti-Semitism on display by Omar. So I, I think um, it's, it's a great time for us to listen to this audio from Joe Lieberman, who has always been a very thoughtful leftist, right? He's, he's always been a, a thoughtful Democrat. And in this statement, he kind of articulates 
the quandary that the Democrats are facing. And then after that, I do want to I want to just really quickly, you know, we'll we'll see a parting of the ways as as Sol, as Stephen Solomon mentioned yesterday. We're going to see a parting of the ways, but I think there's something more than that that's going on here, and it echoes some sentiments that I've had about what we're seeing everywhere, where like. The Me Too movement and the sex abuse scandals coming out of Hollywood, they were open secrets before, but if you were in certain parts of America or in certain industries, you could ignore it. You could, you could not be aware of it. And now we're getting to a place in America where there aren't any safe spaces or, or spots you can occupy where you can be held not responsible for knowing that this organization represents this or that. Like the, the mask has been ripped off of Planned Parenthood. They actually enjoy aborting the babies. They want everyone to have an abortion. If you're of childbearing years and you're a woman, you need to have an abortion because they profit off of it by selling the parts of the babies that are aborted. It's the same thing with Hollywood. When we look at the films there now, there are very few stars left who haven't given their allegiance to the Democrats. And the ones who haven't given their allegiance are drummed out of Hollywood or iced out of, you know, prime roles and parts because it's a single Selled kebab. It doesn't allow any diversity of thought or opinion. And we see this happening all over the place in colleges and universities, places that maybe our parents went to or our older, you know, aunts and uncles, older siblings went to, maybe our, our spouses, maybe we went to. And these universities are now coming out and they're ripping the mask off and they're pledging allegiance to the Democrats. And so it's 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 one thing to say, you know, everybody has a political leaning. It's another thing to say that socialism is what we must adhere to infanticide is what we must adhere to we must look the other way when there's sexual abuse and abuse of women uh, you know assaults things like that we have to allow rapists and pedophiles in our midst that kind of stuff those are the the dividing lines on which you have to pick a side and i've been saying it now for i think we're going on maybe a little over a year i've been saying we have to pick a side it's always been that way, but it's never been more clear than it is now that we have to choose a side. So we can't straddle the fence anymore or stand near the fence and jump on one side when it's convenient and be on the other side when it's convenient. We have to choose God. We have to choose his truth, his word, his ways, or we're choosing the other side. There's no gray space that we can comfortably occupy and act as if everything that we've seen recently hasn't gone on. Same thing with the border. You can't say, well, I'm for open borders, but I'm against human trafficking and sexual slavery. There's no room for you to do that anymore. So uh, Joe Lieberman, and this is a really short clip here. He has this, he says it's a moral test for the Democratic Party, and I couldn't agree with him more. It's number three. First thing is that words matter, and when people say words that are uh, biased, bigoted, and hurtful to another group of people, another group of Americans, they have to be condemned quickly, or else it, it takes hold. And that not only I'm not only thinking about anti-Semitism, I'm thinking sure. about racism, I'm thinking about any kind of bigotry toward any religious group or any other group. So uh, I, I think it's a this is a time of testing. Uh, for the House of Representatives, and, and if I may, it's, a, it's really a moral test about how clearly they will speak out, in this case, against what Congresswoman Omar said, which was clearly anti-Semitic. So one of the things that I really was uh, interested in when I was, you know, just 
thinking about that it's is there's also a bit of a dividing mark between the way Jewish people see themselves in in America uh an increasing percentage of Jewish Americans see themselves as American Jews and they that they don't feel they have a connection or a strong link to Israel and so these are Jews on the left obviously the leftist Jews you know they're 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 this has to happen if you think logically about this it has to happen because how can you say you have a strong tie to Israel when the party that you support is anti-Israel. And so then, but then you go within the party a little further and you see Jews like um, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. She has a strong allegiance to the nation state of Israel. She's very traditional in her views about the Jewish identity. um, You know, lots, lots of things like that. Um, and, And when, when you look at it that way, you can see where there's a huge schism and, and there's no path forward that permits Omar to continue to hold the views that she holds. Because this, this, if you notice, have you noticed, just, just think for a second, out of everything you've heard from every Democrat who has gone on the record to talk about this issue, has anyone said, you've got this wrong? You misheard what she said. She doesn't believe that about Jewish people. No. No, you haven't heard that because none of the Democrats who are defending her are confused in the slightest about what she believes. They know she's anti-Semitic. They know she believes it. They know she represents a constituency from her her uh, congressional district who are also anti-Semitic, and all they care about is keeping those votes. Now, I don't know why they're so worried about it because if you are a practitioner of Islam and you're living in a in you know one of the beachheads here in America, you know you don't have any room over at the Republican side because we're we're wanting you to become an American. We don't care about you being here. It's that we want you to be an American. So we want you to take off the headscarf of oppression, stop practicing Sharia, stop trying to replicate the same results that you had in your old country here in this country. Stop trying to turn our fantastic country into another little slice of Islamic you know, oppression from, from over there. So they, they don't have any room over here to come. They, you know, it's not like they're going to come over here and find a bunch of anti-Semites. We are the strongest supporters of Israel and the nation state of Israel and what it represents to us. We, we're the strongest supporters. There's no, no hands down. So there's not any danger of losing those constituents, but maybe they're worried they won't come out and vote. Maybe they're worried they won't actually write checks or do the online donations. So they want to keep Omar and her constituency group happy, which means for... For Islam, there is no apologizing for anti-Semites comments, anti-Semitic comments. In Islam, the anti-Semitism is baked into the cake. So they're going to have to negotiate with the bad guys. And, And so I'm not. Don't, don't get confused. I'm not saying every person who practices Islam is a bad guy or that every person who comes from Il, uh, Omar's district is a bad guy or believes the same thing she believes. Not everyone, but she does represent a core group of constituents who propelled her to office from her district. Otherwise, how did she get elected? And they don't have a problem with what she's saying because her phones aren't ringing off the hook. Nobody's writing any stories about angry and upset voters from her, from her district calling into you know CNN or MSNBC because they wouldn't report on it or Fox News to say she doesn't represent me. I don't, I don't believe what she believes. They hear her saying that stuff and they're egging her on on Twitter. They like it. It's a symbol that they finally have someone who believes what they believe, who's in the halls of power, who can amplify that voice. So the question for Democrats, and it's, it's interesting because, you know, I'm over on the right. You know what the name of the show is. 
I'm over here having this discussion about what's happening with the Democrats. And if you're listening to it, you probably think, well, you know, you you care. You want to preserve the Democratic Party. Well, yeah, I kind of do, because I we need we need both sides, but not the current Democratic Party. In the same way they said that Donald Trump would split the Republicans. Do you remember that talk? That was back during the primary where uh, Donald Trump was getting all of that free airtime all over, uh, you know, all of the networks were having him on because he was such a huge ratings draw. And they were just so excited about having him there. And it was just this thing where it seemed as if you couldn't turn your TV on if you watched, you know, cable and not see Donald Trump or some discussion about Donald Trump. And everybody was just loving him to pieces, which is funny because some of the same people who loved him so much, they just loved him so much. They couldn't do, they didn't know what to do without him. They thought about him in the morning, in the afternoon, at night. You know, they were always saying his name. You know, I'm talking about Joe and Mika. And now they are browbeating their guests. We'll hear this audio later in the show. (laughs) They're browbeating their guests into saying what they want the guests to say, which is that, that he would never vote for Donald Trump. He's not even allowed to say he would rather vote for Donald Trump than a socialist, which is what he tried to say. You'll, you'll get to hear that for yourself. I, I thought it was stunning that Joe acted this way on his show. And, and I'm saying that, you know, you guys, you guys have seen me cut up on this show. You know, I cut up rough when people get, come on here and act a fool. I will go there. I go in and I don't I, there's no uh, there's no breaks. I'm going straight in. But this was kind of crazy to listen to because the guy was expressing something that was his genuine opinion and Joe wouldn't even let him have it. And so, you know, the, I'm on a tangent here, but look, why am I so concerned? Because people said Donald Trump would split the Republicans. And he kind of has, in a way, establishment Republicans and never Trumpers. While there are fewer never Trumpers than there were back in 2016, they're still a very vocal and strong group. They have some power. And they're in some areas where they can exert change. They're currently looking for someone to primary the president in 2020, which is a, I just so ridiculous. Why would we waste the money on that? But on the Democratic side, there's always been beneath the smooth surface of unity and love. There's always been a lot of catfighting going on between pro-life Democrats who we see what happened to them. They were expelled between, uh, you know, the the. LGBT movement and the people they wanted to keep outside the camp, which were the transgenders who they felt were mentally ill um, and pedophiles and people who want to marry more than one person. And they were told, shut up and let everybody in. We don't care what your feelings are. Just this is a big tent. So will the Jewish Americans on the left have to say we're a part of a big tent that includes openly anti-Semite individuals, anti-Semitic individuals who want to see them destroyed? That's the question. When we get back, we'll have Blair Ellis from the RNC. Stay there. The Arlington National Cemetery. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. On our spiritual heritage tour in September, we'll be going to the Arlington National Cemetery, where we will visit the tomb of the unknown soldier and the changing of the guard. What a moving ceremony that is. We'll spend several hours at the Arlington National Cemetery, what I consider really to be the crown jewel of our nation's capital. We're going to be going in September. We're going to be seeing all the sites in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. We'll also go to Mount Vernon, the home of George and Martha Washington. There's so much to do and see. We also have a Williamsburg, Jamestown, Yorktown part. If you'd like to go on that as well, you're welcome to do that in September. For all the information, simply visit the website spiritualheritagetours.com, spiritualheritagetours.com. 
Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with The Legacy Moment. Some years ago, I met a young man who shared with me an exciting idea he had for a new ministry. In fact, others heard about it and they wanted to support him. Some years passed and I ran into him again. But when I asked him about the progress on his idea and vision, he said he didn't act on it because he was waiting on the Lord and he didn't want to run ahead of the Lord. Now, I don't want to be harsh, but I must admit I thought, what does waiting on the Lord have to do with this situation? And does he really think he can run ahead of the Lord? Let me balance that by saying, to be certain, we need to be wise and we have to be careful about being compulsive. However, God's windows of opportunity are not always open. In Joshua chapter 18, verses 2 and 3, Joshua really rebukes the people for not getting it in gear. Listen to what he says. And there remained among the sons of Israel seven tribes who had not divided their inheritance. So Joshua said to the sons of Israel, How long will you put off entering to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? In other words, Joshua is saying, uh, What's the deal? What are you waiting for? God's not going to serve you everything in life on a silver platter. He wants us to think, to use our minds, to use what he's given to us, and to act on what he said. Plus, God's will always requires faith. Here's what I want you to remember today. Don't shrink back from the opportunities God has placed before you. Yes, pray, get godly counsel, but there comes a time when you must act. Go after it. Crawford Loritz is senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in suburban Atlanta, Georgia. A transcript of today's Legacy Moment is available online at livingalegacy.org livingalegacy.org You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or urbanfamilytalk.com Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Oh, welcome back to the program. Um, so you guys know, last week I was at CPAC and it was just so much fun. And one of the best parts of CPAC was that I got to meet some of the people at the RNC who work in the comms area that I hadn't had a chance to meet before. And so it was just like, it's awesome when you get to meet people that you haven't had a chance to meet before, but you've been working with them online and, you know, they've been coming on the show, et cetera, et cetera. And so this is really fun because I got to talk to Cassie Smedley and others from the RNC and my hope is that I'll get to see them again at other conferences that are coming up later in the summer. Um, and so it's my pleasure to welcome, instead of Alice Stewart, who is actually, she has a weather delay on the train, so she's unable to make it today. But Blair is stepping in. Blair Ellis, who's one of the spokespersons for the Republican National Committee. Blair, thank you for joining us today. The pleasure is all mine. And I could only hope to be so lucky that we will get to, to hang out. Um, <laughs> in fact, was a blast last week, like you mentioned. I can't believe it's already come and gone. But I know. it's always fun to put faces with names. It is. I thought, you know, so I just, there were so many people there. But it was also, for it to be that many people, it was still kind of intimate because I just was bumping into people left and right and saying hi. It's some people I hadn't seen for years and years and others I'd literally just seen them. You know, you kind of see each other, quote unquote, on Skype, but then you see someone in person. It's just so much better. It totally is. And it's so fun. CPAC, I feel like it's just one of the few times a year. It's, it's, it's the only time a year where, it, you know, you've got all 
the the best conservatives in kind of one big building, and it's just nice to be able to kind of know that you're surrounded by so many different friends and allies, and everyone's on the same team, and we're all fighting for the same things. And it definitely is one of those events where you leave feeling a feeling a little more of a pep in your step, if you will. And I certainly mm-hmm. felt that way last week after CPAC. Yeah, yeah, a lot of energy. I felt energized for the show because I got to interview people in person, which I know normally I don't get to do. It's just always by phone. So it was nice to actually sit next to people and see their faces mm-hmm. while they were talking. Um, so I hope to do that more. But um, one of the things that's going on right now that's super exciting is now I'm not a, a demographic box person. It, it's Women's History Month. But one of the things that we can do is we can take advantage of scenarios where we, you know, we don't really have control over whether or not it's Women's History Month or what liberals and feminists will do with it. But we on our side can definitely educate and we can take advantage of this focus and concentration to discuss issues that are important and try to get new, correct information out there. And so Women's History Month is going on. What is actually the focus for the RNC with this and, and, and especially the White House? So for us, it, you know, it's just an opportunity to talk, number one, about the soaring economy and how this created under Trump. You know, we've been able to, to create opportunity to really lift up some, um, you know, different groups of, of people within, within society. And there's a big talk and big push right now on um, just all the awesome programs the, and initiatives the Trump administration is championing uh, to empower women. You know, we've got the Women Entrepreneurs Finance Initiative, and we've got the Women Connect Challenge, and then we've got Ivanka's Women's Global Development and Prosperity Initiative. And all of these are focused in one way or another on, um, you know, honing in on women, particularly women, whether it's developing countries or um, countries where women just have yet to really reach their full potential. But our goal is to help them realize their economic potential and give them the resources and tools they need um, to really help boost their economy and tap into the local workforce around them and, and help them better utilize their talent, their ambition, um, and just everything that, that, that women naturally have. We want to help them harness that and get to a point where they can um, really help lift women up across the globe and, and do it from a conservative kind of policy standpoint where we're empowering them. We're not giving them anything. We're empowering them. We're helping them find the tools, the education, the resources they need to lift themselves up. Mm. So, um, I, I I love that. I think that's fantastic because we actually have one of the lowest women's unemployment rates in the history. Like it's been decades since it's been this low for women. And also there's this um, this wonderful economic boom that's impacting women in a positive way all over the country. Women are investing, opening businesses and doing things they, they normally, you know, with a down economy just aren't able to do. And that is due to policies implemented by the Trump administration, namely the business tax cut, um, the, the decreases in regulation and a lot of things we're seeing from them that we just wouldn't have seen if it was Hillary Clinton. Totally. And to your point about the unemployment numbers, it's the lowest rate in 65 years for women. It's at, <laughs> Unemployment is at 3.8%. That is incredible. That is something absolutely to be celebrated, whether it's Women's History Month or not. Um, but to that, to that same point, we've seen more than 2 million women enter the workforce since Trump was elected. Um, and, and I think, again, this just speaks to the type of pro-growth job um, opportunities, initiatives, Um, that have been put forth by the Trump administration, and we're seeing it reflected in how well our economy is doing. Um, Tax reform, deregulation, coupled with focus on, you know, connecting American workers with American jobs, that has really helped 
spur these low unemployment numbers um, across every demographic. And that is something to be celebrated um, on top of all the other good the administration's doing. I think the fact that we're helping get more Americans back to work and that we've got so many different initiatives right now really focus on connecting private sector with, um, with the need to employ those who have yet to find work. And that has been uh, and will continue to be a big focus of the Trump administration moving forward. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that. So uh, there's another kind of big deal that's been going on. And I've seen Ivanka Trump at a number of public events this week and uh, at the end of last week where she's been championing uh, workforce development, which is something that I think it kind of gets short shrift in the media because it's hard work that takes years to create, develop, get off the ground. And then you have to kind of continually update. It's it's like continuing education, but it's more than that because this is retraining. It, it encompasses a lot of different things. And I, I think people get bored talking about it because it's not, you can't just say, okay, we did workforce development, you know, for a month last year and we retrained, you know, 800,000 people and now they're working. You don't get results like that in a month. It takes right. time. And so people don't want to talk about it. But Ivanka Trump is really like, she's been on this since the first moment she entered the White House to work there. Um, and so what, what's going on with that? Absolutely. Um, and you're right. A lot of times this kind of stuff falls by the wayside because it's not, you know, snazzy enough for, for some, some of the mainstream media. But um, this, uh, this workforce advisory or American Workforce Policy Advisory Board was, was really launched this past week. But it, it's composed of industry, education, government um, officials, and everyone who's on the board is, is highly focused on bringing Americans off the sidelines and back into the workforce. Um, and there's a couple different elements to it, but um, one of the one of the main goals is you know develop this big campaign that um, allows us to promote multiple pathways to good paying jobs um, and, and dispelling this myth that there's only one way to, to a successful career. Um, but another focus of the board too is improving the availability of you know high quality timely data that's available to students and educators. We also want to modernize candidate recruitment and training practices, and we want to encourage employer-led training and investment. And so, um, again, a lot of this is about working with the private sector and helping them and tapping into them so that we can train, educate, and uplift um, those who are unemployed or those who are seeking uh, maybe maybe to change their careers. Maybe maybe they're looking to, to do something different or enter a new field. We want to help give them the tools and the resources they need to be able to take on a new task or a new challenge. Mm. So in short, Blair, workforce development is it's integral to maintaining and growing our, our, we have a very diverse and talented workforce in this country, but we want that to grow. And we, want, we, we don't want to have to be so reliant on foreign labor, people coming here on visas to work. And workforce development helps us to, to get to that goal, doesn't it? Oh, totally. And, and Ivanka Trump did a, a really awesome interview over the weekend where um, we talked about one of the reasons that we need to see the private sector kind of step up and help invest in America's workforce is because um, of all the technology and automation that we kind of continue to see take place. It's transforming our employment landscape. And we're at a point where um, we've, we've really got to talk to our private sector and figure out, you know, technology is exciting, but it is disruptive, and we need to make sure that we're working hand-in-hand with them to get a feel for where are your needs in this company? Where do you feel like you need 
uh, more of a hands-on approach to training to get people to a point where they can step into this new role or this new job. Um, we just have to make sure that we're staying on top of how quickly automation is, is displacing people, and we want to stay ahead of that. Um, and so part of that is really just making sure that we are talking to the private sector constantly and, and getting a feel for what their needs are, where they need help filling those holes in their companies, um, and, and how we can better communicate to, to slot in people to those opportunities and to give them a leg up. Um, and so that's a big focus as well is really tapping into the private sector and making sure that we're utilizing them so that we can get more Americans back to work. So that's actually super exciting. I wish more people would talk about it. Right. <laughs> I know, I know. And, but it's to your earlier point, though, it's something that is not a small feat. It's something that, you know, we're, it's launching, and it's been, you know, to even get to a point where you can launch it, it takes a tremendous amount of behind-the-scenes work and effort from um, the first family. And, and the fact that we're finally at a point where we're able to, to really dive into some of the more nitty-gritty details of this is exciting. But you made the point earlier, this isn't something that just happens overnight. I mean, this will, this will definitely take a couple months at least, if not years, to really get to get going. But What's important is that we've got the Trump administration and, and Ivanka and others who are really leading the way, saying, look, like, let's, our unemployment's low, but we can get that number lower. Like, let's not let this be the best we can be. Um, and part of that, too, is just staying one step ahead of um, the pace that the economy moves and the pace that automation moves. And we've got some awesome leaders in the White House that are really making sure that we're staying on top of those discussions so that we can keep Americans employed. I love it. It's something that um, if we weren't talking Mueller investigation, Mueller report pre-sales on Amazon, if we weren't talking about um, so-called collusion, so-called obstruction, um, people who've you know, done wrong things like Manafort and, and Cohen getting prosecuted for those things and nothing to do with Russian collusion, of course. But we have to talk about all that stuff, which is like talking about Rice Krispie treats instead of talking about, you know, pot roast. The, the main event is workforce development. The workforce development is the pot roast. And those stories are like the Rice Krispie treats. Sure, they're sugary. Sure, your head was going to hurt later and you're going to have a sugar spike, but you're still going to be hungry after that. Um, we, we need to talk about this more. Right. And I think, too, you hear it more from members of Congress when they're, when they're back in their districts and they're meeting with, with constituents or they're holding town halls. Constituents are not talking about, the, you know, the D.C. inside the belt line, things like the Mueller investigation. They're wanting to know, well, hey, let's talk about what are you tangibly doing to create more jobs, to grow our economy, to help families save a little bit more money? What are you doing to help kids? pursue higher education or to, to pursue, you know, a career in the, in the tech field or the tech industry. Uh, parents and, and families aren't interested in, in a lot of the this, this, this sugary stuff that um, the media pundits and pollsters want to talk about. They're interested in what, are, what, are, what is D.C. doing to tangibly improve um, the state of things and, and how are we working to improve the lives of everyday Americans. And these workforce development initiatives are an incredibly important way we're, we're actually working for the American people. And I think that lucky for us, we have folks like you who allow us to kind of share that message. But this is the real stuff that matters. These are the real initiatives and policies that are helping to bring down unemployment, that are helping to boost consumer confidence, that are helping to to increase wage growth, which we just saw, again, uh, take place this morning when those jobs numbers came out. So these are the types of policies, initiatives, programs that really matter and that really have an effect on, you know, the everyday average working American. Hmm. And, and, and the reason why I'm so excited about talking about it is because, you know, I, I, I want to cover everything, 
But I also noticed that there's a lot of people that when I bump into them and they're, they're never Trump, it's because they have no idea that he's done anything great since he's been the president. And I'm, I'm not here to make people like him or dislike him, but I do think they should be informed. And when I start sharing, they're like, well, where did you hear that? I'm like, from the White House? Like, they, they actually put stuff out. You can, like, this is, <laughs> I mean, I'm just too busy to make this stuff up. And I'm not that creative. I'm pretty creative. But yeah, yeah. Well, Google, Bing, you know, whatever your search engine is, you don't don't feel like you have to use what I'm using, but you could definitely find this out if you wanted to. And they're just inundated with the stuff from CNN, MSNBC, et cetera. And they just don't have any filter for it. And so they just they hear that Trump is the devil and he's never doing anything good. And he's also putting people on cattle cars. and They're like, wow, that's pretty terrible. And then they, you know, they just pump their gas, you know, buy groceries, go right. home, do whatever they're going to do. This is crazy right. that this this kind of development, which is so important to our economy, is going on. And people, if they're not listening here and they're not listening to other outlets where you're you're going and, and sharing this, they're not hearing it. And I just I think that's a travesty. Nope, I totally agree. And it, and it all it takes is um, a, a, a quick Google um, per se <laughs> to, to make sure that, that you know people are, are feeling a little bit more informed about things. But you know, truly, when you start looking at what this administration is doing, and uh, we saw with today's jobs report that we're getting more and more Americans off the sidelines. Today's, today's report was the seventh straight month of three percent or better wage growth. Um, national unemployment remains at or below 4% for 12 straight months. That is the longest streak in almost 50 years. Hispanic unemployment this past month reached a record low at 4.3%. I mean, those are numbers that are undeniable. And, and it, it, we only can hope that they're starting to kind of translate beyond um, the D.C. bubble somehow. Uh, but this is, again, these are all because of the, the awesome initiative and development workforce positive, uh, you know, initiatives that the, the Trump administration is putting forth. That's why we're able to see such great numbers transform this economy and, and put Americans on better footing than they were five, six, seven years ago. Mm. Well, y'all heard it here. Share it in the podcast. Tell a friend, you know, and you don't have to tell them in a mean way. You can just say, wow, that uh, Trump administration workforce development or go in soft, go in, go in pretty, say, Ivanka Trump's workforce development announcements are pretty awesome, especially for Women's History Month. And that'll get them talking. Yeah. Then you can tell them what you that'll learned here today. Mm-hmm. That's a good hook. She's, she's gorgeous. And then you, once they're thinking about her, they won't be angry. And then you can tell them the truth about the workforce development. It's a perfect segue. Blair Ellis, RNC is. spokesperson. Thank you for coming on today. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you for having me. Thank you. All right. We'll talk again soon. And we will be back with your calls at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Stay there. What does it take to be a sports success and a team player? Here's Pro Football Hall of Fame coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. Only three people in football history have won Super Bowl rings as both a player and a head coach. Myself, Tom Flores, and Mike Ditka. But unlike Flores and I, Mike Ditka was inducted into the Hall of Fame on the strength of his playing career, and he helped the Cowboys win Super Bowl VI. But after a three-year stint coaching the New Orleans Saints to three losing seasons, Ditka told reporters, God puts people in places for reasons, 
and he probably put me here to be humble. I deserve it. As a player, coach, and broadcaster, Iron Mike is an uncommon football mind who believes God always has a plan, both in victory and defeat. Tony Dungy, best-selling author of Quiet Strength and the Uncommon Book Series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Here's what you've missed on Airy the Addisons. A former house church pastor, Brother Fu, is talking about what's going on in China. He's talking about the Chinese government, how it's made its plan clear that they want to change Christianity in China into what they would call Chinese Christianity. Fu said that there would be a retranslation or a summary of the Old Testament with some Buddhist scripture. Mm. And Confucian teachings and new commentary for the New Testament. Airing the Addisons. Weekday morning, 6 to 8 Central on Urban Family Talk. Now, if you're offended by this story, you should be offended by any new presentation of the gospel Mm. under any ethnic covering. You see what I'm saying? But the reason we sometimes miss it is because we prefer us. Mm. There is no new gospel. Man. Securing America. The Pentagon is defending the Trump administration's transgender military policy, which is currently blocked in court. Retired Air Force General James Stewart, who's performing duties of the Undersecretary of Defense for Personnel and Readiness, told a House subcommittee. The new policy ends the practice of providing special accommodations for individuals with a history or diagnosis of gender dysphoria and transition-related treatment. General Stewart said the policy treats all medical conditions equally. Maryland Democrat Anthony Brown says it sounds like, don't ask, don't tell. We are not talking about heart surgery and diabetes. We are talking about a group of Americans who identify as transgender. President Trump has argued the Pentagon should not be paying for sex reassignment surgeries. The issue is ultimately expected to be decided by the U.S. Supreme Court. In Washington, Rachel Sutherland, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And in Falfurias, police are investigating a traffic stop turned human smuggling case. They say the driver pulled into an apartment complex and bailed out with a passenger Tuesday. Both were eventually caught. Twelve people in the United States illegally were found inside the truck at its bed. They were detained and turned over to Border Patrol. One of them was a Salvadoran national convicted of manslaughter in New Jersey. Police say that truck was stolen out of Pasadena, Texas. So the truck stolen out of Pasadena, Texas, then taken out of the country and brought back in packed to the gills with illegal aliens to include some guy who was convicted of manslaughter while he was here the last time. I mean, but as I've been posting on Facebook all day, if you've been missing the sarcasm, the snark is still there for you to enjoy, (laughs) you know, go and partake. I've been posting up, nothing to see here. Keep it, keep it moving. Go get your bitter Starbucks and, and move it. Keep, keep on moving on down the line. Nothing to see here. No crisis present. Yeah. So a couple housekeeping things. Um, I was just posting on the YouTube live stream. And if you're listening on terrestrial radio, this is, uh, you know, we're actually, we're so grateful for you. And I encourage you, 
um, to become one of our, you know, when you donate to AFR or purchase any of our products over at AFR.net at the store where we sell, we have fantastic things there for you. Um, You can actually then partake in the town hall phone calls that happen. Um, They're quarterly and they're led by Mr. Tim Wildman. Um, He's the head of our organization here of American Family Association, which is the parent of American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And uh, last night they had a fantastic call. Um, I I believe it's because I I came on and then my phone started acting up, so I had to disconnect and reconnect. But I I heard most of it, like almost all the everything, but that last like couple minutes at the beginning. And um, I know I heard Abraham Hamilton III was doing some policy updates, and they were kind of celebrating some victories that we've had um, in in the culture war. And so if you want to get those quarterly calls, you got to go on. Um, go, you, you know, it's for donors, it's for uh, partners, anyone who's partnered with us on anything you, you get onto the list and then you you get the automated message from Tim Wildman himself. He, he actually calls you and gives you a reminder that the call is coming up and then he calls you on the day of the call and connects you up and you get to listen in and it's always 30 minutes, no more, no less. So it's a quick call that you can actually fit into your evening schedule. It's after dinner time. And it was a great call last night, very encouraging. And so I just... I think that's fantastic to do, but of course, completely up to you. And then, of course, we have Shareathon coming up in April, which is going to be super exciting because I'm going to be down in Tupelo for that um, broadcasting live from the actual syndicator, y'all. I'm going to be down there. And um, the other thing is, we're still working on, and I know it's taken quite a while, but this is something that I, this is my first time doing this, and I have hired a, a internet, you know, some a design company to help me with it. But we have to get this right for us to have the live stream instead of giving our live stream to Facebook and YouTube. It's, you know, and Periscope where if I say illegal alien, then they, you know, on Facebook, they actually limit the share button. I've had people message me with pictures of they'll have the live stream. It's a screen capture of the live stream of the show and they actually can't hit the share button. The share button is disabled. They can't share it. And you just saw the story from Project Veritas where they have a a whistleblower from inside Facebook who says it's called de-boosting. The algorithm is supposed to search for live murders and rapes and violence that happen on Facebook. People live stream murders all over the world, you know, depraved, absolutely just the worst, the worst of the worst. These people do that. And so they have to set up these automated systems within the computers at Facebook to catch those so that people, you know, as you're scrolling down your feed, you don't see a live stream of a rape or a murder. And so they have a full-time operation that's all over the world. They have these call centers and they're third-party contractors that come in and do this work for Facebook. But while they were doing that, when they realized we can set up an algorithm for this, we can help out our live screeners and moderators, they also realized, well, we can set this up to Um, you know, anytime someone says illegal alien, anytime someone says socialist, anytime someone says one of the buzzwords we don't like, like political correctness or uh, infanticide or pro-life or pro-abortion, anything we don't agree with, we can set the algorithm up to catch it. And then when we catch it, we'll disable the share buttons, we'll de-boost that stream. So instead of her reaching seven or 8,000, which if you think about it, roughly 10% of the 80,000 people on my Facebook page I should be able to show a live stream to them on a daily basis. And I know that I have that kind of reaching capability because we've had streams bigger than that. I remember I used to stream once a week and get 18,000 people to listen to it, to, to watch it on Facebook. Now, 
this dream is a thousand, eleven hundred, twenty one hundred. You know, sometimes it's three thousand. On a on a really heavy news day, you know, we'll get four or five thousand. We can do better than that. And we can provide you reliability where if you want to share the live stream and it's going to stacyontheright.com, you can just copy the line, the actual internet address and post it wherever you want. And so you, you'll have more control. We will have more control. And there won't be an algorithm determining if the content that we're sharing on a day-to-day basis is worthy to be shown to anyone. You can decide to come to my website. You can decide to watch the stream. You can decide not to. It'll be up to you and you alone as opposed to giving all of this power over to YouTube and Facebook. For It's, it's just crazy. The other thing is it's a time, perfect time for this change because I don't know if you guys saw the story out there uh, about Facebook the owner of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, has actually said that he believes that the Snapchat formula, he didn't use the word Snapchat formula, but it is, if you have teenagers, you know what Snapchat is. It's instant messaging. It's encrypted. It's from, you, it's basically you choose the number of people to share it with. So instead of sharing publicly, everything's private and you're only sharing with a select group of people. And Facebook owner Mark Zuckerberg feels that's the way Facebook is going. So no more of this public posting, no more, you know, scrolling through and seeing a friend of a friend and clicking on their page and seeing all of their public posts. No more of that. You'll only have the capability to share within a network of people who you've chosen, who also have chosen to receive your information. And that will be how, and then of course things will disappear. There's no more storing of years worth of data like you do on Facebook. No more of this kind of village concept where anybody can walk in and meet anybody else it's going to be much more controlled. And he has said that he feels like that's the future of Facebook. Well, that kind of sounds like online publishers like myself and news organizations that put out content will have a hard time reaching anybody if it's a closed loop. Like how will you reach anyone? You'll only be able to share with people who choose to have been shared with as opposed to right now where any person who's watching this live stream who doesn't even like the page can share it and other people that they know will see it And I don't have anything to do with it. All I'm doing is putting on the stream. So it's an appropriate time to start looking at some other options for making the content available to you when you would like it on your terms. In other words, you don't like it, you cut it off. You like it, you turn it on. Instead of having Facebook decide they're going to show you that I'm live streaming or they're not going to show you I'm live streaming for two years, which is other. I've told you guys this. I've, I've gotten uh, direct messages from people who said, I had no idea you were still on the radio. You're doing so well. I can't believe it. I'm like, what do you mean? I've been here the whole time. Oh, I haven't seen a notification from you. And it's been like two years. I actually was just thinking, I wonder whatever happened to Stacy on the right. And so I typed it in and here you are. You've been here the whole time. So, I mean, you know how it is, out of sight, out of mind. I don't blame anybody for that kind of stuff. If you're expecting Facebook to show you notifications and you've selected get notifications and they don't show you, you're going to assume, oh, well, she just must not be publishing anything anymore. I mean, come on, fast-paced life. So hopefully this new change, I'm I'm, I'm not going to say hopefully, prayerfully, this new change is going to bring about an ability for people to get the content that they want here on the show to access us. Um, and you'll still, uh, obviously, our primary mode of dissemination is radio, uh, all of the terrestrial stations here at American Family Radio and our other, uh, we have some affiliates outside of that, just a few. And we're so grateful to be able to do that. So that's what we're going to be focused on. And I, but I wanted to make that announcement so you could kind of get ready. If you're, uh, if you're like, if you catch us on the radio and 
when you can't catch us on the radio, you go back and you watch the live stream, you won't be finding it in like a zillion different places where it is now. But that will also mean a higher quality of streaming because we won't be streaming to so many different locations. So there's a, a bunch of different benefits to doing it this way. And if you're wondering why my shirt says nobody on the top, it says nobody likes a soggy bottom because me and my family are completely obsessed with the great British baking show, the greatest br British baker. It's, it's an unbelievably funny show and it's fun to watch. And um, the soggy bottom refers to a pie in which the crust was not perfectly the perfect thinness and cooked to perfection and also created to perfection with the butter and the everything that goes into it. And then when it's baked, if the items that are put into it are too wet, so fruit, meat, whatever the pie is made of, if those ingredients are too wet, the bottom of the pie will not be crisp and flaky. It will be soggy. And the Brits refer to that as a soggy bottom and it's a pie. And so the shirt actually has a pie on the front. I'll put a picture on that on Instagram so you guys can see. <laughs> so anyway, that's the, that's the kind of Friday mood I'm in. Um, I wore this shirt <laughs> to the doctor's office this morning and everyone was like, wait, that shirt. I'm like, yes, it is from the great, the great British baking show. And a couple of the ladies in the waiting room knew the show and we were all just like a bunch of little hens cackling and talking about the show and how much we liked it. So anyway, um, that is what's going on with that. And I, I'm just, I do too. I have to, I have to say, I actually like the pie to be soggy on the bottom, but I'm an American. So, you know, what, what are we going to do? <laughs> so, um, so we, the audio we heard coming in from this break was obviously this traffic stop leading to the human smuggling bust. And, um, DHS secretary Nielsen has been out all this week having discussions about what's going on at the Southern border, trying to bring some truth and clarity to this issue. And one of the things she said this week was that ICE interdicted enough fentanyl in 2018 to kill every American twice. And remember, fentanyl is what the drug cartels in all of these South American countries, specifically Mexico, they lace the heroin with fentanyl because it boosts the strength of the drug. But what happens is if they're not very careful about how much fentanyl they put in, it actually kills people because it is extremely strong. And the fentanyl itself is the—that's where the the overdoses are coming from. The people are not overdosing as often on heroin itself. It's the fentanyl. So someone who has been using heroin for a while and tries to use more of it to get the same result, and the heroin that they try to use more of is laced with fentanyl, it results in an overdose. And we're talking about seventy-five thousand of those for the last reportable year. Seventy-five thousand Americans who overdose. You've seen the pictures of two kids strapped into the car seats in the back seat, the parents in the front seat, both of them dead over heroin overdoses. Kids in the back alive and screaming, like they can't, they can't unhook themselves and they're in the car and the parents are dead and the police find them. This is what's going on in America today. Now I know, you know, depraved human uh, condition. I get it. We're never going to have a society where everybody's behaving perfectly and there's no death, no murders, no, none of that. It's never going to happen while we're here on this earth. But we can certainly say we know that an open border means more people coming into the country who are here to do one thing, and that's traffic drugs and human beings. And so in order to stop that, we're going to put a wall up. 
And when we put that wall up, that's going to funnel these illegal entrants into our lawful points of entry where they will still try to smuggle drugs in. But because our agents won't be running up and down open fields trying to catch people in trucks and getting gunned down, because, you know, our agents actually come under gunfire and stuff from these these gangs, these drug cartels. Then once everybody's coming in through the lawful points of entry, then we will be able to stop more of this. Uh, you know, drugs coming into the country. And and these guys are already doing an amazing job. They're already stopping huge shipments of heroin, heroin laced with fentanyl, fentanyl, straight up fentanyl. They're they're totally stopping this stuff and confiscating it. So it's not like they're not doing the best they can. These guys are doing everything they can. And we're still, we still got this going on. Um, so... We're going to have to save that next audio for, for, for later. Um, and I did give out the number for calls, but it's Friday and y'all might just be enjoying the listening experience, which I totally feel you. Um, the other things I wanted to kind of just touch base on really quickly as we're in the last minute of the show here, um, we have, it's, it's exciting. You know, we love talking to Dr. Craig Albert. He's going to be back with us next week. He's the former president of the Georgia Political Science Association He is a graduate director of intelligence and security studies uh, at the Augusta University. And what's important about that is when Dr. Albert comes on, we normally talk about North Korea and national security and foreign policy. And this time will be no different. That will be a part of our discussion on Monday on the show. And so I'm excited to talk to him. And then, um, of course, we are going to have other great guests coming in next week Um, for the for the big kind of to do for today. It's been that the president went down to Beauregard uh, to visit the site of the tornadoes. And it was really just a a spate of really bad weather. And, um, you know, our hearts go out to them. We have to pray for them and look for opportunities to send relief and aid when, when those become available. Um, But my encouragement for you this weekend, if you're leaving us now is well, today it's 44 here in St. Louis, and I've already been outside a couple times because I'm just like, what? The snow is killing me. And I'm so glad to be able to just breathe the air in deeply because it's not icy cold 11 degrees. Try to get outside and definitely get in the pew um, and just get that refill. And if you're going through anything, God is for you. Rely on him. He won't fail you. He won't let you down. If you're sticking around, you have One News Now, news and information up next.